Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. I got another fantastic floor show for you today. Which, by the way, I've seen your comments and questions. Why are you filming on the floor? Is it for the slimming angle, which always. But also, actually, it's a sound thing. When I record into a room that I've never been in before, the, the easiest thing for me to do is to film into the bed. All the sheets, the duvet, all the, the pillows, they, they, they dampen the sound. So you don't get horrible, echoey audio, which would be the case in 99% of the other angles in this room. So it's mainly that. But also, thank you for calling me skinny. Oh my god, I ate a salad for lunch and it feels so worth it. What's happening? I meant to say buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it because there's a lot of news to go through. Yo, first up today, we had the biggest podcaster in the world, Joe Rogan, back in the news for two wildly different reasons. Right, so the first is because of comments he recently made about Trump on his podcast, with this notably coming after he said he wouldn't have Trump on as a guest for the show and has even declined the opportunity to have him as a guest, and now he's kind of just solidifying his thoughts on Trump here. So in a recent episode with comedian Tom Segura, the two talked about Trump's health, with Segura noting that in general, Trump reportedly maintained high energy levels on almost no sleep, to which Rogan added, It's on Adderall. God. Do you think he's on Adderall? And at other points, talking about other weird Trump things, like tactics staffers reportedly used to keep him engaged in briefings, or his previous feuds with the media regarding as well. He's a man baby. He's a f-ing toddler. There's almost a part <clears throat> of you that goes, it's, it's, it's just hilarious when someone doesn't give a f- that much. If he wasn't an existential threat to democracy, yeah. and the, 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 the power that he wields over his minions wasn't mm-hmm. just so disturbing, it would be hilarious. Right, so all of that is why you may have seen these headlines saying that Rogan called Trump a drugged out man baby. And so it's gonna be interesting to see if and what fallout we see from that since he didn't just go after Trump, he specifically mentioned his quote, minions. But also the second reason he's in the news is because he's facing backlash for comments that he made about the unhoused population in Los Angeles. Because he had Rogan and Segura having a conversation about the homelessness in the city that led to this exchange. Someone has a car parked there on the sidewalk, like partly on the sidewalk. So they're like half blocking a lane and then they have like a, a canopy draped over their car and they have just stacks of shit. and then next to it was a dresser they had a dresser Jesus so they had their shoes and a shoe rack there was a shoe rack like this is where they live that's just... really wild I didn't know also that um, you know when when you see stuff like that on the streets at least in Los Angeles or maybe in California those are that's protected property like by law you know that like if you were so to you're go... not supposed to do that but and, and but like that's that person's property by law. If you oh, were to the go, homeless person's property yes. is protected. Yes, absolutely. Huh? If you were to go and try to move that or take that, you get arrested. Yeah, yeah. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't arrest you if you shot somebody. Maybe mm-hmm. you should just go and shoot the homeless people. I like your ideas. Yeah. And if nobody claims it, I mean, nobody does anything about violent crime in L.A. anymore. With Rogan then going on to talk about issues of crime within the city and saying people are just getting away with too much. But the line that seemed to stick with a lot of people was the one about shooting unhoused people. It seeming to generate a lot of anger with people saying things like, and his bitch ass was crying about the safety of comedians after Chris Rock got smacked and someone rushed the stage at a Chappelle show. Meanwhile, killings of unhoused people have been on the rise since 2010 and surged in the pandemic. And you had community leaders in Los Angeles and advocates for the unhoused speaking to Variety about this, with Theo Henderson, the creator of the We the Unhoused podcast, saying, it's Repulsive. It's infuriating because it's not only out of touch, but the reality is that unhoused people are targeted by housed people. To advocate trying to shoot at unhoused people or just giving these dog whistles to people that do not see unhoused people as human beings. And Andy Bales, the head of the Union Rescue Mission Shelter in downtown LA, also saying that murders of homeless people in Los Angeles went up 47% last year over the previous year. And adding, there's a bit of an unfortunate vigilanteism already in Los Angeles towards people devastated by homelessness and they don't need any encouragement. Usually when I get in a case like this with somebody with a lot of influence and responsibility, I invite 
invite them to come see what's happening on the street and get to know the people that they're talking about. I would invite Joe to come to Union Rescue Mission to see not only our work, but see what's happening on the streets and who these people are, who he's talking about. And while obviously you had that reaction, you of course had people defending Rogan, saying how can you watch this and think that he's being serious? And saying he wasn't saying to shoot homeless people or anyone literally. He was making a point. Y'all are trying to cancel Joe Rogan by any means. But as far as my opinion, and you can feel free to agree or disagree, that's half the point of having these conversations and discussions, but I, I personally don't understand how you could watch that clip and go, yes, Joe Rogan is legitimately calling for the murder of the unhoused. To me, that seems like two comedians, Rogan and Segura, talking about the authorities having their priorities out of whack. Joking that the police are more likely to try and arrest you for stealing from an unhoused person rather than if you murdered them. Right? Like, if you lived in a place where people were more likely to be prosecuted because they were going like 110 miles an hour in a 60, rather than committing manslaughter, you'd be like, oh yeah, if you're gonna drive 110 miles an hour, just drive into someone. To me, it just feels like a kind of random throwaway joke. That said, I'm not gonna villainize the advocates that jumped on this story. I think for them, like any opportunity to raise awareness about a very serious issue. I mean, I, before this, I didn't know that the, the murder rates of the unhoused had jumped like this. And so I guess kind of the silver lining is that this story has raised awareness of that fact. But as far as the jumping down Rogan's throat for this, I think like there are a lot of things that Rogan says that I think you can be critical of. And personally, I think by trying to make a massive, massive deal out of this, it, it hurts the legitimate reasons that people can bring up at other times. But that's a story, some of my opinion, and I'd love to know your thoughts, whether you agree or disagree. And then while so much of the conversation online about bots on social media has been centered around Elon Musk and Twitter, there's also a big conversation happening around Zack Snyder because there are allegations out there right now that Zack Snyder essentially used his devoted online fan base and bots as a weapon. Right, and in case you're unfamiliar with Zack Snyder and the Snyderverse, here we go. Zack Snyder's a director who was a big part of Warner Bros. DC films and he was the director of the Justice League. But when post-production came around for a variety of reasons, including a death in his family, Snyder stepped down and Joss Whedon stepped in as an uncredited director to finish the film out. With reports then coming out that the version of the film that was released was far different than what was imagined. Allegations that there was so much unused footage, with that then fueling Snyder and DC fans to see Snyder's vision of it, prompting the online hashtag release the Snyder Cut, in an attempt to pressure the studio into giving Snyder a chance to make the movie that he wanted. And eventually, after millions and millions of new dollars, the Snyder Cut was released, hitting HBO Max last year. Which on a personal note, I will say I didn't see the first version, but I actually really enjoyed the Snyder Cut. And in general, I think that it was positively received. But the story that we're talking about today stems from a Rolling Stone report that looked at the Snyderverse's online influence and what drove it. Because the Snyderverse fan base, very devoted, very wild, though multiple outlets have labeled it as toxic and loud. But according to reports commissioned by Warner Media, at least 13% of the accounts talking online about the release of the Snyder Cut were fake, which might not seem like a lot, but it was well above the three to 5% that are typical on an average trending topic. And Rolling Stone reportedly had cybersecurity firms also look at the Snyderverse social media efforts with one executive saying, there's no question that bots were involved. And a marketing executive talking about how these Snyder hashtags would blow up and then immediately fall off, explaining, you don't see a drop like that organically, and it looks like more of an example of weaponizing a movement. With Rolling Stone then adding that in other words, while Snyder had scores of authentic flesh and blood fans, those real stands were amplified by a disproportionate number of bogus accounts. And adding that with this amplification, they were so powerful, they got a major studio to spend major bucks on a movie that had already tanked upon release. But their story also doesn't stop at the power of this online presence and how bots helped that. It also goes on to allege that Snyder himself may have actually had something to do with it. With the outlet saying that while Snyder denies this, one source claimed that the director hired a digital marketing firm to drum up fan engagement in 2016 after his Batman v Superman film was a critical dud. With the outlet also saying that 20 sources believe that Snyder was manipulating these online campaigns, including one who said he was, quote, like Lex Luthor wreaking havoc. And again, you know, Snyder denies this, saying that actually if anyone was trying to use a fan base to fight an agenda, it was Warner Bros. using these fans to get HBO Max subscribers. But reportedly sources still alleged he weaponized the fan base, including in one case where he wanted to remove two producers' names, Jeff Johns and John Berg, from the credits of his cut. And according to this report, when his efforts did not work, multiple sources 
Alexis said he issued this threat. Jeff and John are dragging their feet on taking their names off my cut. Now I will destroy them on social media. With the outlet noting that after months of online attacks, those names were eventually removed. And also, this is only some of what Rolling Stone lays out in the piece. It's very in-depth, and I'll link to it down below so you can get the full picture of it. But also, very important to note, that piece is already receiving some backlash, including from Forbes, who put out a piece saying Warner Bros.'s bot claims just don't add up, referencing the report that said 13% of those Snyder Cut accounts were bots and arguing, if 87% of the Snyder folks were real, that's pretty significant, and I don't think that warrants the takeaway that Warner Brothers was duped into greenlighting the Snyder Cut with an inauthentically large fan base massively inflated by bots. That's really not what the data is showing here. And saying that WB likely didn't even cave in to release the Snyder Cut, but rather because like what Snyder said, they did this because they wanted to drive those fans to become subscribers at HBO Max. With the piece closing that while parts of this are valid, the, the story WB is selling here just doesn't track. And so that's why with this story, I'd love to pass the question off to you, especially if you're a, a Snyder or a DC fan. But from that, I want to take a second to say a big happy birthday to the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Movement. You know, I've loved working with Movement for a lot of years now, and they have tons of super stylish watches, sunglasses, bracelets, rings, and more. Movement products just have a clean, minimal design with a simple style and functionality. And for the read, they asked me to talk about my favorites, but I have too many. You know, I still got love for the ultra sleek Legacy Slim watch collection with the polished brush case finish and a choice of stainless steel or leather bands. Though, I will say my latest fave is kind of love at first sight, the new Chrono Ceramic in both midnight blue and gloss white, both 45 millimeters and as my wife said, casual chic. I just nodded my head, but you know, it looks good with suits and tees. Seriously, you can't go wrong with movement. There's so many solid options of not only watches, but sunglasses and more. And right now for movement's anniversary sale, they're offering you beautiful bastards 25% off site-wide plus free worldwide shipping and free returns from today until July 25th. And also, if you end up seeing this after the promotion, do not stress. You can still get a discount by clicking that link down below. And again, Happy birthday to movement. I can't wait to see what else y'all have in store. And then let's talk about catastrophic climate change, essentially turning our lives into action movies. Except because it's the real world, there are no stunt doubles or safety protocols or really any of the stuff that makes it not horrible. You know, as we're seeing more and more stories like this, we're also seeing bamfs pop up. Like this badass motherfucker in Spain who you, you can't see him right now, but he's driving that excavator out in that field where it looks like a Game of Thrones dragon just came down and lit the whole thing on fire. And understand, he's not out there for shits and giggles. He is legitimately risking his life to fight wildfires that have burned 75,000 acres of land around the country so far. And by risking his life, I do not say that lightly, right? Authorities in that same region have reported the deaths of a shepherd and a firefighter in the past few days. And this guy had been digging a trench to try and stop the flames from reaching a nearby town, but the inferno quickly engulfs his vehicle, with him climbing out, ditching it, and just running to escape the flames all around him, patting out flames on his clothes, stripping, but quickly getting back to his feet, and eventually making it through the field with his shirt burned to rags, his pants still on fire, with firefighters then arriving to wrest control of the battle. You got a plane strafing the blaze with buckets of water, Water. And as for our BAMP, he has reportedly suffered some burns, but has been treated at a local medical center, then was airlifted by helicopter to a hospital, with family and friends saying that as of Tuesday, he was conscious and able to communicate with his wife. And understand, this is not something that just affects one man, right? In the same region, we've seen this video of a train being forced to stop because of a wildfire, with passengers watching the spreading flames warily through their windows. And I think it's important that we talk about stories like this, because there are still so many people out there that think, like, climate change, things are just gonna get a little warm. Some idiot politicians saying, you know, we're just and get more beachfront property. If we don't try to do better, things are going to get far, far worse. To a point where it doesn't matter how many badass motherfuckers out there are trying to protect us. And then we have COVID news for Florida. Right, so when the FDA finally authorized COVID vaccines for kids from six months to five years old last month, many parents were very excited to move fast to protect their infants and toddlers. But that's actually not been an option for many in Florida because of Governor Ron DeSantis. Right, so when the shots for young kids were first authorized, DeSantis warned parents against them, also spreading misinformation about the essential protections, claiming they had not been sufficiently tested and trialed. But even with that saying, you know, 
I will not stand in the way of parents who do want to vaccinate their kids. But then, in a shocking plot twist that no one could have ever predicted, he turned around and did exactly that. Right, DeSantis is literally the only governor who refused to let pediatricians and healthcare providers pre-order the vaccines. And then he took it a step further and blocked state programs and county health departments from distributing or administering the COVID vaccinations. There was also initially a lot of confusion as to whether pediatricians, hospitals, and other physicians could individually order the doses, forcing the White House to clarify that they could. But according to reports, the intentional failure to pre-order and lack of state involvement has created a ton of problems. Pediatricians' offices have vaccine wait lists that are weeks long, doctors that have gotten doses are getting calls from parents who live hundreds of miles away, and some families are even considering going to other states to vaccinate their kids. And although doctors' offices and hospitals are working hard to get the job done, there are still serious barriers to access, especially for children in underserved communities, poor families in rural areas. Right? Because those groups traditionally depend on county health clinics for vaccination, but DeSantis has blocked those clinics from administering doses. And beyond that, small and rural pediatrician offices that lack cold storage or minimum dose ordering requirements also rely on the county departments to provide them with vaccines. And all of this is happening during a very concerning nationwide spike in coronavirus cases largely driven by the Omicron BA5 subvariant, which experts consider the most transmissible strain of the entire pandemic, with the most recent CDC data showing that BA5 now makes up two out of every three new infections. And unfortunately, all the evidence we've seen so far indicates that the strain is also more easily able to infect people who were recently vaccinated or recovered from COVID. Now, that said, experts have stated that BA5 does not appear more severe than the other Omicron strains. Also, like with the previous strains, you have experts saying the vaccines are still effective at preventing serious illness and death, which is exactly why many say vaccinations are so important because it seems like this wave is just getting started. And according to the New York Times, cases are on the rise in the vast majority of states, at least 40. And both cases and hospitalizations have risen 20% in the last two weeks, with Florida being among the top five states with the highest number of cases per 100,000 residents in the last seven days. So with infections on the rise yet again, it's going to be important to watch what happens across the country and in Florida specifically, which is also why in the meantime, I'd love to know everyone's thoughts on this story, but also specifically if you're in Florida, what's your take of things? But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. As always, thank you for being a part of that conversation down below, being subscribed for these daily dives in the news, which by the way, if you're looking for more news, I got you covered here or here. But as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.